Hello and welcome to Journeys, a series of podcasts from Cultural Enterprises. My name is Jill Fennick and I am the Chief Executive of the Association for Cultural Enterprises. Over the course of the series, I will be chatting with colleagues from across the cultural sector, all in senior roles and commercial activities, in a bid to unearth the person behind the job title. This series was prompted by a reflection on my own journey in our sector, much of which was more by accident than design, and a curiosity about the journeys of others. We'll find out how they got here, what they've learned along the way, and their thoughts on the future of our sector. I hope you enjoy the series. Today I have with me Matthew Henderson, Product Development Manager at Beamish, the Living Museum of the North. Um, welcome, Matthew. We're so pleased you could join us. What was your journey and where did it start? It's almost sort of the, the perfect route, really, but I never sort of saw it coming. Um, when I was sort of really young as a, as a child, my grandma ran a gift shop in a nature reserve um, just down the road from where we lived. And I used to go and help her out and we'd organise sort of raffles for the Christmas tree sales and all that sort of stuff. Um, and I think that's where I started working with people. And um, looking back now, I guess that's where I started working with a little bit of retail. And then I used to volunteer at a falconry centre off the back of that. And then through um, Sixth Form College, they offered me a work experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the time, I was sort of set on, I was going to go and train owls and fly owls. And that's what I was going to do from being at the falconry centre. And they said, look, it might be that you enjoy the tourism element. So go to Beamish and give it a go. And I came here, was, was pretty mortified to sort of have to dress up and uh, it was all very new and within like an hour I just knew it was the place I wanted to be and, and the industry I wanted to be in really. So I, I got a seasonal, well, I volunteered for a couple of years, work experience, then volunteered, and then I got a seasonal job and then an apprenticeship and, and here it is, This it's 10 years since I did that now. Absolutely. And how old were you when you went there that first time? Uh, so I was 16. Yeah, so Goodness me. so literally just started sixth form, and um, I was um, in the. I remember dressing up to, to be the dentist assistant for the day, speaking <laughs> to the speaking to the visitors, and working in the um, in the cooperative store. Um, and I, I just loved it instantly. I, I loved what the place was and the people and the interaction. Um, and then sort of gone through various um, job roles, apprenticeships, sort of you name it, over the past ten years to to get us to this point. I would say for listeners, this is an open air museum. Uh, for those who don't know it, there is a, there is a um, an emphasis on uh, relocated buildings. So you know, you go to Beamish and you will see an almost reconstructed village from what period, Matthew? Yeah, so we've got a few different time periods, but the, the one we're talking about is Edwardian, so early nineteen hundreds. Yeah. yeah, yeah, with a co-op and a pub and a, um, a fish and chip shop and as you say the dentist which is all the one I don't like candle makers and all that kind of thing it's a fascinating insight into life as close as we can get to it from those days um, and the um, volunteers as as Matthew's saying are interpreters really between the site and the visitor I would say is that right? Yeah, yeah very much so so we, we don't have any signage on site everything should feel immersive and, and the way that visitors get the story and interaction is from people in, in costume so in terms of volunteering or working on site, it's the only place I think where you could be a fish fryer on a Monday and a, and a dentist on a Tuesday. Um, <laughs> so there's, there's big variety in, in the sort of stories we tell and just to bring that life, um, that sort of uh, it, it all to life, really. Did you ever get to work with the heavy horses? Because I just love those. 
Yeah, so I'm fortunate actually in one of my previous jobs, I shared an office with um, the, uh, I think he's called the Keeper of Land and Animals, um, mm -hmm. who's, a, who's brilliant and uh, almost like a curator of, of animals. Uh, and he was, um, he used to get us to go and help down at the horses now and again, if he needed a hand to get them ready for Christmas or had to go sort of driving them around the site and all sorts. So uh, I think that's the great thing with Beamish is when I came up with experience, I never expected the, the opportunities that I've been given. And that's everything from landing a, an RAF helicopter right through to sort of um, like uh, driving horses. So every day is different here. Given that sort of very varied background, obviously, as a, as a front of house um, member of the team, how did you get into the commercial side of things? Where did that start? From that sort of apprenticeship and then I worked in events as an assistant for a couple of years and, and during that time um, I was given a, a project we were building a photographer and chemist and I was asked to um, help take the lead on that to, to how would you get a work in photographers to, to look how it should have been in the Edwardian times but be fully functional which is is one of my retail exhibits now and then um, I really loved that I loved that idea of, of creating something in that secondary spend and just after that, um, I ended up working on a, a big project doing similar sort of things uh, and did a maternity cover. And the maternity cover, um, part of it was managing the, the commercial elements of the town. So things like the sweet shop and the pub, the photographers, the chemist. Um, and I just absolutely loved it. And um, we made a lot of change during that time. Um, and it led on to this sort of new role. And then the pandemic came along uh, and there was obviously more focus than ever on um, retail and um, sort of our commercial enterprises so it, it's been very organic um, yeah, and the, yeah. the museum has, has been so sort of supportive I think my role a lot of the roles here are, are almost quite bespoke really um, so I, I love the creative elements of it um, and then this sort of this world really that we've got. And as you say you need a sort of enlightened management in order to allow that organic growth to happen don't you really so you are in a, in, a, in a very good place as it were for because you you are a sort of force for change I do very much get that impression about you from the time I've known you and you're always excited about the next new project but what's the thing you're most proud of I think see the thing I'm most proud of is, is seeing the visitors interact with the things that we've created whether that's mm -hmm. exhibits or um, whether that's particular products so, for instance, over lockdown, we did we did a lot of work and then came back with market stores full of local produce or bespoke. Seeing the the visitors sort of love and enjoy that, and then knowing that that money's going in to help our sort of charitable elements, mm -hmm. I think that's what I'm most proud of. I think someone once said to me years ago that um, it's an honour that we get to create things that millions of people will enjoy for like years on end, and and that's mm -hmm. a really special thing and, and a thing that very few people get to do. So. I, lo I love the creative elements here and like it is its own little world and it, and it has all so many opportunities to create things where whether that's as simple as making a new product or um like at the moment I'm working on changing our famous sweet shop quite a lot um it, it is really creative and, and I love that sort of challenge in it and changing it. Tell us about the Fennec department store venture because I thought that was really exciting and something you should be terribly proud of. During lockdown I think there was there was about maybe 15 of us working and that was everything mm -hmm. from feeding horses to sort of do we set up an online shop we started um, delivering afternoon teas in full costume to anywhere within a 15 mile radius and one of the ideas was these suites have been so popular online people are really missing coming to the museum what about if we went to the shops that were open so yeah. um, we partnered up with local uh, farm shops uh, independent retailers and then the famous sort of fennec food hall 
um, so the sweets that we make, the boiled sweets, um, we now sell around the region. And I, I think that has real potential. Um, and it was such a buzz that first time going into Fenix and seeing all our sort of sweets and the jars of sweets with the logo on, just, as well as being a, a commercial thing to obviously get some money from every jar that's sold. It's what a great way to build that sort of brand and, and get that word out. And I went and worked with Fenix for a day and then we were getting people who were in Newcastle who'd never been to the sort of 20 minute journey to Beamish and they were going to come because they'd bought, bought the sweets and read yeah, the description. It felt like, yeah, that, that's working. And I think we'll really grow that over the next sort of few years. It always strikes me that Beamish is very much part of the community. I mean, you referenced the taking out afternoon teas in costume, in the van, the liveried van, round, you know, round the community. And you're going to do something for Museum Shop Sunday as well that's very community focused. What was that? We are, yes. Yeah, so community is at the heart of everything we do. I think naturally because we've taken an awful lot, we've got two and a half million objects, a majority of them have been donated. When buildings move, we have to get all the stories that come with them. So the community are really important to us. Um, and we had an idea for Museum Shop Sunday where we've asked every local supplier we work with to donate um, one of their items, a Beamish bespoke product. We've created this massive hamper, which I think is well over 200 pounds worth of stuff. Wow. A, a family pasta Beamish, so you name it, the ultimate Christmas prize. Lovely. Uh, and we're going to ask people to nominate who they think's deserving. So rather than picking names out of a hat, We'd like to find someone who that famous joy would really mean something to them this Christmas. And we're going to go to their house, a big bunch of us um, in, in costume oh, and, and surprise that person. So I'm really, I'm hoping Museum Shop Sunday will get the word out and get lots of nominations for that. My goodness me, I think there'll be tears on the doorstep. <laughs> goodness, that's quite incredible. Have you put restrictions on that as in distance that they have to be from, you know, from Beamish? Yeah, so I think we're going 30, 35 miles, something like that. So it'll get them uh, yeah. pretty much the whole of the northeast. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we're not going on penny farthings on horse and cart, so I'm <laughs> driving uh, a bit further to go and find um, a urban winner, really. Um, but it'd be so interesting to see who nominates people and, and ultimately who the judges pick to win that prize. So this is going to be a really hard question because obviously it's clear you love your job, your job's very multifaceted. So is it possible for you to, to sort of say what's the best aspect of your current role? Uh, for me, it's the creativity. Sort of live from a job, really. And, and like like that idea for Museum Shop Sunday came to me while I was sort of driving to work one day. And yeah. I think I'm so grateful to sort of the team at Beamish and like our CEO that um, she allows that creativity. So if you come up with an idea, you can make it happen so quickly. And I think there's probably one thing I need to learn is a bit of patience because as soon as I've got an idea, I'm like, we're going to do this. So yeah, that, that thing of going on site and being inspired by the people, the collections, the stories, and then how do we make that into a commercial venture? How do we make sure that, that visitor gets a souvenir of the thing that they loved when they came here um, and that connection? And I was sort of fascinated really by the idea, especially with the online shop and seeing the products we create, where they end up around the world and are they sitting on a mantelpiece somewhere? Has it yes. made someone cry when they received a gift? I think it's um, it's almost a form of community outreach, I think, in what we can do with products and experiences. Absolutely. Does it always have to be commercial? I mean, I know we are all commercial people, but it sounds to me almost as like the emotive side of the business is, is almost as important as making a profit. Yeah, definitely. So like our guiding principles are to put the visitor first, having genuine community engagement, and then looking for that entrepreneurial spirit. So I try and only do something if it has all three of those things. And certainly during lockdown, when 
our like half our audience is local um, and when none of them could come to the museum and that's people who have real emotive connections to the site when they couldn't come it was more about going and connecting with them than it was making money um, so those afternoon teas it, it felt like a real privilege to knock on people's door and, and sort of connect with them in that way and I've spoken to families who have told me that once they've paid all their bills for the year they've got enough money for a family pass to Beamish and that's what they put their money to when, when you think of that it's almost an honor really to look after this site and they're at the back of your mind all the time um when we when especially when the museum is closed is how do you still connect with these people who ultimately keep us all in a job and, and they'll keep this museum going for years and i'm sure it's an honor for them to to work with people such as yourself because that kind of commitment it's 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 not thin on the ground but it's it's good to hang on to when you find it i have to say Has there been any piece of advice that's been given to you along the way that you've really found was very useful? For me, the most useful thing, I'm not sure if it's necessarily in a sort of um, one piece of advice, but certainly I've learned from other people who have done it. And it, it's working alongside the people that are sort of working in the exhibits and the shops and that are front of house. So mm-hmm. like, um, I'm very much about getting their ideas, their feedback. And, and I think um, also almost being one of the gang I guess yeah. um, I think that's probably the thing that um, has been a, a big part of um, my career has been been learning from people um, of all levels and still now so if we're making changes in the sweet shop I'll go and work in that sweet shop if we're in the fish shop so it's just been part of it and I think when I go back um, to sort of working with you you realize that's why you're here that love of being with the visitors so I think that's the best advice I'd have or have been given was to, to to work alongside people and listen. I think that's really interesting. That was that was some, something somebody said to me very early on in my career. It wasn't quite like that. It wasn't as nice as that, <laughs> but it was similar because they said, um, um, "Whatever you do, always think of the consequences on other people." So it's kind of the the flip side of I suppose yeah. of what what you're saying because what you're saying is consider other people and um, take their learnings on board because they may have known more than you because they've been there longer. What then, to turn that round, is the best advice that you could pass on to others, do you think? People starting out as that 16-year-old or 18-year-old? Ask questions and listen and learn from the people that are doing it. And you might not find that the way they're doing it is the way that you would want to, but I think all of that, you can mix it together um, to to sort of create the person you want to be and the sort of colleague you want to be. And also using the history, I think. Um, Maybe we're quite specific here in that we are a living museum, but I think always the best stuff that I've done has come when we've used real history. So when we found something original in the collections or an original story, rather than not that we ever would make it up, but certainly in terms of design and stuff, I think it's always going back to who you are, like as a museum, um, mm-hmm. as, a, as a venue. Um, so those like the guiding principles, using the collections and, and working with people, I think is what I would advise anyone to do. And you clearly advise them to come into the sector because that's a sector that you're very proud of work I mean that's yeah I, I, um, I mean I, I came into it almost by accident and then looking back from like my mum always talks about how when I went to a, when we went on a day out all I was ever bothered about was the gift shop and buying a rubber and buying a pen and that's what <laughs> I look forward to all day looking back it's so obvious that then I would try and find a career in that I guess yeah, yeah. at the time it, it never felt like that until this sort of point of 10 years in looking back um on it so I would yeah without a doubt I'm so proud to have done an apprenticeship and come through that way as well. Tell us more about the owls so are you still, <laughs> I'm fascinated by the owls are you still involved? 
Yeah, definitely. So one of my best friends runs um, uh, like a conservation project where he breeds eagles and vultures. Um, mm-hmm. So if he ever wants um, to go away for a weekend, then I'll look after this farm. Um, so you get left with everything, sheep, chicken, ducks, <laughs> bald eagles, you name it, really. Um, so that's kind of a cool thing. I also, um, uh, I've got my own owl uh, who I've had since I worked at that mm-hmm. poultry centre as a child. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes, because um, it's famous, we do all these sort of live events with um, with various reenactors, and obviously falconry can be a part of that story. So uh, definitely, I've had times over the past few years where I've been walking around just as a Georgian holding a sort of peregrine falcon type thing. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So yeah, and like I said, it all came from my grandma getting us involved with that nature reserve, and then went from there. So um, when I worked in events, we had falconry at pretty much every event. The um, <laughs> the management team used to laugh that uh, <laughs> no matter what it was, some owls would appear somewhere. You clearly enjoy your job far too much. I think it's just not fair. How do you think the future of cultural retail particularly is going to look over the next five years and what changes do you think there might be? There's a a culture here now where people really champion our retail work and Mm -hmm. people that don't have a retail focus are are really behind that and we've done a lot of work to make sure that um, we're keeping in touch with those people and, and showing them what we're doing. Um, so I'd like to say that culture grow really that um, we don't have to be apologetic for offering visitors the chance to spend money. Every venue sort of finding that. Um, I think we've definitely seen more of a focus on uh, people wanting good quality and local stuff in terms of the products that we retail, and equally with the experiences. I think people really will pay and support um, as long as the experience or the product is of high quality. Yes. Um, so perhaps that might be a way that um, we're sort of moving as a sector. Yeah. be interesting to sort of see what happens for us there's been obviously like everyone there's been an awful lot of negatives but there's been positives with this and certainly retailers um we've gone from sort of two of us working on this online shop to now there's six or seven of us we've got a big warehouse which was like one of our meetings rooms so we're, we're doing all these sort of commercial ventures that have come out of lockdown um, and made a lot of positive change i think so i hope other venues are sort of feeling the same that is fantastic. And has the online revenue increased in, in the same way as obviously it must have done? It must have driven the demand for the warehouse and the staff. Yeah, so we've um, sort of repurposed that room and um, we constantly have, have online orders going out. We have wholesale orders. Even today, I've been contacted off um, an engineer and energy company who would like to buy X thousands amounts of um, portions of sweets as a Christmas present. That's all work that we would have never had. And that's come off that Fennec idea. Um, so yeah, we've got a real great little team, um, and yeah, we're sort of um, we're just navigating the world of, of modern online retail rather than everything <laughs> being sort of steam powered here in nineteenth century clothes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but that corporate gifting, that idea of it, was that just out of the blue, or was it something you were already promoting? Uh, no, that was out of the blue. So they'd seen the sweets in a local farm shop, and it said. Yeah. Um, we'd really like to support you. I think we have some work to do around production because we have a, a tiny little sweet shop and we want to keep it all handmade and, and all that story, but yeah. be able to keep up with demands of Fennec and corporate orders and that sort of stuff. So for us as a museum, that's definitely the direction of travel is, is growing that infrastructure. Do you think we can afford to rest on our laurels and, and depend on revenue from on-site visits? Or do you think we might have to look more to the off-site income generation in the coming years? When we reopened last year, maybe sort of slightly naively, I thought, right, we're back open and that's it. And then we had multiple more lockdowns. So I think we're definitely trying to be as agile as we can. 
and that yeah. we can be responsive if so if we did get a lockdown how do we connect with those visitors how does father christmas go from his grotto that might be closed to an online offer yeah. um how yeah. do we connect with school groups around the world all that sort of stuff so i, I think we have become um a, a bit more agile and, and dynamic in that sort of they can throw anything at us now and we'll try and find a way to to keep it going and, and to support the museum and it's been a very emotive experience actually um especially at the height of lockdown when nobody was seeing anyone and we were reading these gift messages that visitors were putting on their online orders and what it meant to them and, and why because i think when you say these some days we'll have six thousand visitors and I, what i always try and think is well they've they've planned like what time they go set off and who's driving and what food they've bought and why they're coming and what's their memory of their last visit and i think it's thinking of every person as that individual really helps me to to make sure that we always remain as putting the visit first it would be nice to think that we can keep all the sites open but i think yeah we're we're ready to be responsive if, if needed any plans for expansion in the future we're so much yeah so we've got a 1950s town <laughs> doesn't uh, surprise me <laughs> <laughs> but, um, we're building a 1950s town at the moment so in um, february next year um there's a terrace opening which has a functioning hairdressers we can get your hair styled uh, a new chip shop a fish and chip shop and um, nice. you'll see what uh, you'll have your fish and chips in 1950 newspaper oh uh, wow in uh, beef dripping beef dripping yeah um, <laughs> and all the stories have been written by community members telling us their memories so the newspapers full of their real memories um written in sort of first hand uh, mm -hmm. and then there's um john's cafe which is uh, gonna be like an ice cream parlor italian cafe uh, and an artist's house so that's just in february next year and then the rest of the town with a cinema and a toy shop will open but we've still got some exhibits to reopen so we're looking at what we'll do with our print shop when it's safe to do so our photographers uh, we're going to do some more work to expand our market. We did this little pop-up market for lockdown. And what was really cool, actually, is we looked back and Frank Atkinson, who's the founding director of Beamish, yeah. had based Beamish town around a market town like Barnet Castle or Bishop That's Portland. Yeah. So we've, 50 years on, we've put the market into the market town. Um, so brilliant. it feels quite fitting, really. Yeah, so totally. we're definitely going to expand that. Um, more made in Beamish lines, um, that production brilliant. element. So. We've just done um, coal ice cream for next year. So it's <laughs> yeah, black ice cream that's full of popping oh, candy wow. like coal. Um, so yeah, there's, there's loads, loads of little products, loads of big new exhibits. All this confectionery, you're making it on site at the moment. So yeah, our boiled sweets are made on site and our cinder toffee. Um, and we'd like to expand that. So um, in terms of um, different things that we produce for the bakery, which we do a lot, but we can never have enough sort of bread and cakes. It flies out the door. So. Um, how do we make sure it's authentic and keeps it as Beamish, but maybe produce a little bit more than we can currently? Um, so that's what we'd like to look at. It's all incredibly inspirational, Matthew, and really, really positive. It's, it's a lovely story. I could talk to you all day, but I'm just going to wind it up with a couple of personal questions, if you don't mind me asking a couple of personal questions. When I say, what is your favourite work of art and why? I don't mean art as in a picture. It could be absolutely anything. It could be a book, could be a piece of music, could be anything. But what has meant something to you, I suppose, or moved you? So I guess as someone from the North East, I should say the Angel of the North. Yes, you should. Um, so <laughs> if I said the Angel of the North, but also I have the um, an album title tattooed on my leg, which is Everything is Borrowed um, by an artist called The Streets. And I would oh, say the street has had as much impact on me as as sort of Beamish has really. As and, um, go and explore. Not your leg, but the yeah, yeah. <laughs> And uh, 
the the rapper um, who's known as the Straight Squad, Mike Skinner, has promised to sign, come to Beamish and sign that tattoo. So oh hopefully at the next conference, I can tell you whether he uh, he signed my leg. Oh, or not. I, look, I look forward to the outcome of that. That is fantastic. And f- <laughs> thank you for sharing that with us. And finally, tell us your happiest place if it's not Beamish. I think probably live music. I think, and I've missed that so much yeah. um, over the course of the past sort of year, eighteen months. So. I think, yeah, being with friends or family at like a live event. I was at a comedy club again the other night. And so live music and comedy, I think that's where it's probably the only time where I sort of um, switch off from work a little bit and, and enjoy that. Fantastic. Matthew, it's been a real pleasure talking to you today. I can't wait to come visit Beamish. It's been a number of years since I've gone. In fact, it's been an honour to talk to you today and I look forward to seeing you in future. Thanks again ever so much. Thanks so much and for everything you all do as well. Thank you. Thank you.